Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 251. I had a conversation with Mary Boynton. She is uh, she works in arts administration, but she's an actor. She's a singer. She's a performer. Um, her big claim to fame, which many of you will know her name from and know about, is she was in the movie Once Were Warriors. She plays the role of Mavis, who is the karaoke singer in the famous scene where uh, they drown her out by putting the jukebox on and Jake the Mus uh, goes goes nuts because he's defending his wife's friend who's just trying to sing her song in the bar. Um, as Mavis, that that role has just stuck with Mary her whole life. I mean, it was a it was a bit part role that became one of the big roles in that movie, and uh, and she was uh, uh, you know reluctant to take that role. Um, she had been a singer in a reggae band. She is a classically trained singer. Uh, nothing that she was doing at that point was going to send her towards that as a job, um, but it became a defining role. So I was keen to talk to her about that, but we also talk about everything else she's done. She's done stage work, um, lots of singing, and currently she is uh, working um, in an administrative role for the um, International Arts Festival, the, the Inter- New Zealand Festival, but uh, I always call it the Arts Festival, that's how I've known it over the last 20 years. Um, so we talk about that, we talk about her role uh, in Arts Admin and we talk about her various roles on, on stage and screen. Um, this is my first time meeting her, she is based uh, well between Wellington and Hawke's Bay and I caught up with her over Christmas in Hawke's Bay, um, but I had we referenced this in the conversation. I had done a really long phone chat with her in, in my occasional capacity as a, a freelance producer helping out at RNZ. So those uh, talks that Jesse Mulligan does with people where they play um, some of the songs from their life and reflect on some of their favourite books and movies. Um, the segment is called Bookmarks. I basically pre-interviewed her for uh, one of those conversations and put together all the notes. So uh, we, we track back over some of that stuff and then try and have a different conversation around that. Um, it was great for me to finally get to meet her because we had a really nice chat on the phone and I felt like we had uh, connected over many, many uh, shared passions around the arts. So this was a nice conversation to have. I uh, hope you enjoy this. This is me talking with Mary Boynton. We've only just met, but we had a nice phone conversation and it was a, a formal thing where I was, I was doing some work for RNZ and I was interviewing you for a segment, you know, you were having a, now what was it, it was bookmarks, so you were, I think you were plugging a show that you oh, were doing. Oh, which is Wahine. Yeah. Was it which is Wahine? Was yes, it Wahine? was, I think so, yeah. yeah, but it's that that wider context where you're basically sharing some of your um, yeah. books that you like and, That's right. and, and, you know, biographically you end up saying who you are and yeah. some of the things that you've done, but you were also talking about favourite books and movies mm. and... And I remember we had a re- we we had a really nice chat about books in particular. Yes. And I'm sitting here and I can see some great books. Yeah. And I can see some great records. Yeah. And um, that's only if you know, I've I got could, rid of a lot of. No, 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 totally. But I can just see from what's there yeah. that there's some good key titles. And yeah. uh, I always got a lot of biographies on opera singers. Yeah. A um, lot of New Zealand. Writers like Witty, Himaya, yes. and Patricia Gray. That's 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 what I remember from our conversation was you basically talked about that those two names, those two people, their books mm. were you remember them being present in your life basically mm. as a reader. They mm. they are touchstones. Yes. So 
remind me where you grew up and how you what you first gravitated to was it books <laughs> I I'm a farm girl so mm. I grew up on our iwi incorporated farms uh, just outside of Gisborne mm. it's called Mangatu Blocks mm-hmm. owned by the iwi of Gisborne and um, I the first books I encountered I suppose that were in my life were Bible stories. Mm. My mum bought a whole set of them. They were bedtime Bible stories and I remember a man coming up and selling them. They you know used to have mm. people going around selling things. And she bought a set of these and they were probably the foundation of my reading and in some ways have influenced the person that I am, you know, at times I can be quite um, moralistic, I suppose, Mm. and uh, I read those stories to my brother and sister, I was only five at that time, and the next kind of books were Walt Disney books, so mm. princess stories, mm. Yeah. <laughs> Cinderella, yeah. Sleeping Beauty, all of those. Yeah. So, not very meaty books to grow up with. I also read quite racist bo- little books. I don't know how I got a hold of them, but there was one about a little black boy and uh, who was a gollywog, and he ran around and round and round it. A tree chased by a tiger and he turned into butter. Wow. I, I remember, um, yeah, those golden books. Yeah. And I can remember some of those books, Little Black Sambo. And, that was yeah, it. Well, it was going to suck. Remember that stuff, you know, and it was just brought home into the house like. Yeah, like nothing. This was, you know, next week it'll be Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. You and know. Then I had a little black, we had a little black Sambo. Doll mm. that mm. wound its back up and it played a tune. It's quite extraordinary now to think about that, isn't yeah. it? Like, you know, and we were a Māori whānau, mm, but mm. That, you know, we were quite Pākehā in some ways in mm-hmm. the way, and then and and the kind of material we were ingesting and reading. Well, because you had to be, because yeah, that's what, that's what New available. Zealand expected of you, I guess, exactly. in a way. Like you just yeah. move towards it without exactly possibly exactly. without knowing it sometimes consciously mm-hmm. to yeah. to inverted commas fit in mm-hmm. because it's expected right but also just and so then the blend just further happens without yeah. you yeah. really knowing it and of course you know going to I loved school because there were more more reading materials and um, you had the journals you know mm. they were they were great because actually you were introduced to Māori writers through there. Mm. There were um, people like Kataraina Mataira and people like that who were writing stories mm. for those journals. Mm. So there were some stories in there that I could relate to as a Māori child. Mm. Not that I was brought up on a marae at that stage. I was living, we were living on farms. But we had a lot to do with my family, um, my mother's whānau from Tikaraka, which was like, 40 k's away. Mm-hmm. We spent a lot of time with my whānau and a lot of time with my cousins. That's mm. how I grew up. Mm. Do you remember a book, it's probably, it's a bit after that, but do you remember a book called Mihi, I think it's called Mihi Pika by Mihi Edwards? It's a memoir. Yes, I think I may have read that when I was at university. Mm, that, that was going to say it would be, yeah, because yeah. I would have read it in high school. Yeah. And uh, and I was just reminded of that book recently somehow, and I was thinking like, 
Yeah, that's a bit of a like lost Kiwi classic. Like I don't oh. feel like, like I'd love to track down a copy of it again. I yeah. felt like it was a really important book mm. at the time I read it, and I, but I don't hear it mentioned a lot. But it must have mm. been. I mean, it was in the school system, so it must have sold some copies and been, you know, mm. uh, known for a while. I do remember being conscious of it when mm. I was at university and thinking I should read that book. Mm. You know, and like all those kind of autobiographies or biographies of mm. different Māori women, I, I should read those, but you know, then I get distracted and read The Whale Rider. Because <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing, I mean, I've always felt like, and I'm I'm experiencing this now as a, as a father of a, a child who's really just in the last year or so, he's nine, really just started to get into reading for himself. But reading is reading whatever anyone is reading is good you know like and and my kid goes from reading things that are really good for his age and 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 right around his age to to dropping back down to reading things that are probably for six or seven year olds but he reads them really quickly and i'm okay with that because Mm. you know you can't just be pushing yourself the whole time and Mm. and reading without enjoyment and if and if something's really easy for you to read then it's probably because you're enjoying it or that or, or it becomes easy to enjoy because it's easy to process mm. and so you you find the the groove with reading and mm. so long as a person's reading i think mm. then that's you know whatever comes from that exactly. comes from that right if, if young boys are reading comics yeah yeah totally that's that's the best way to get boys into reading that's right yeah, yeah. comics yeah, yeah i yeah. used to love comics too yeah. you mm. know um, but reading would have been your map to the world, like living quite remotely. Absolutely, it opened my eyes yeah. to the world. Yeah. Because I grew up on a farm where we were totally isolated. Mm. So to read took me to another world. Mm. I could imagine another world. And I often lived in my head and I daydreamed a lot. Mm. So as a child, it was always on a report card. Yes, Mary's doing, well, Mary mm. is doing very well at school, but she does tend to waste a lot of time daydreaming. So I'm bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, so what what comes next in terms of like if reading's a big part of your world, what other uh, art and cultural forms find their way to you then? Not much at that point, or like music, for example. When does that come in? I love to pretend to sing and dance. As a child, I used to dance around the kitchen and. You know, pretend I was a ballet, ballerina mm. and do leaps and <laughs> mm. and crash into things and knock things over and um, so I was I think I was already wanting to be a performer at a very young age, mm. telling stories to my brother and sister and and reading to them and I used to enjoy reading and telling the story so I was a storyteller already mm. uh, and then I just accumulated all of these other skills mm. um, or at least touched on, upon them like dance and singing um, I was also a good artist you know drawing I mm. did school C art and UE art mm. but that's something that I didn't pursue so I was kind of an all-rounder Mm-mm. but all the daydreaming <laughs> all the daydreaming yeah all the night yeah, yeah i yeah. think it's important to yeah, daydream no, totally i think it's so important because if you don't imagine then you can't go on to create these people that tell us or tell 
the children in our lives that they need to concentrate better and, and stop being a dreamer go off and watch an amazing film or show or listen to some wild music and it's one of those daydreamers that's created it exactly and, and you, know, you know and why should you look at other people's stuff when you can think it up yourself mm. um, I think children should there should be balance in the way that we teach our children in the education system and there should be time for them to go off and sit lie under a tree and just daydream and sleep mm. and mm. play and make forts and I was continuously making little worlds in the bush you know mm -hmm. we would there'd be a bush beside our house and I'd go and make little <coughs> fairy houses and mm. things like that mm. um and so you know a happy childhood I mean because this sounds like it what you're saying or was this all the escape from some of it was escapism mm. um my parents were very hard-working people. My father tended to be very dictatorial. Uh, you know, sit at the table, don't talk, eat. At the same same time, he's a very loving man. But I think pressures of trying to bring up a family mm. and manual labour to provide exactly yeah. to have enough money mm. uh, I remember he and my mother arguing a lot probably when we left the farm we worked for Monk Dad worked for Mangatu Farm and we were we had our own house we had a house provided a lot of food was provided you know meat mm. um, and so we had more money but then when my dad left Mangatu blocks and we moved down to Tekaraka. My I remember hearing my parents saying to other people that it was for our for our benefit as children, mm. that we had better education. Mm. Um, that's why our parents moved to Tekaraka but it's it took my family quite a while to adjust to that, going from Quite a privileged, privileged life, mm. and having some status. My dad was the manager of that farm, and then going down to Tikaraka and being nothing. Yeah, yeah, starting again. Starting again, and then my dad having to work in the freezing works. I think that really hurt him, because he was a pr very proud man. And then to kind of, you know, be working with men who were probably who were probably people that he contracted in to be shepherds. Mm. He wasn't their boss anymore, so mm, mm. you know, on on a yeah, I think my dad was quite sort of hurt by that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, for me, there was a bit of escapism during that time. Definitely, mm, I hated mm. it. Mm. Build your own world. Yeah. Build your own, you know, playground mm. in your own world. Aye. But then singing came, mm. and that was another escape for me. It's a, a escape, but it's also a maybe more so than some of the other things you're talking about, it's a way of connecting, like connecting with other people through the song, yeah. Absolutely, I love to see people when I'm singing or performing, listening and really mm. hear, mm. then you know that you're doing a good job. When did that become an idea you could do something with that? 
When I started singing at competitions in Gisborne and winning them. Yeah, um, that's a good indication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I got a lot of attention for that. And I enjoyed that. Mm. I enjoyed the attention, I enjoyed the winning, mm. I enjoyed the performing and entertaining and expressing myself. What person, let alone child, what person doesn't like being told they're good at something when it comes down to it? You know, we, we can all have different versions of how we manage our ego in the moment, but it's a pretty cool thing to be oh. to be recognised as Absolutely. achieving something on any level, isn't it? Absolutely. Someone we saying do. they enjoyed something. Yeah, well, we do it to children when they're babies, when yeah, they're growing up. That's you know? right. Um, when they're starting to walk, you give them that's right. encouragement. And then we stop doing that. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. So, yeah, a bit of attention seeking around that, but also at the same time, I just loved emoting. When I sing, it's, it's a way of emoting mm. and releasing a lot of emotional energy um, and you know you can actually affect someone's mood so at that point you were a, a natural singer when do you when do you become a tutored singer uh, when I went to music school and studied with Flora Edwards mm -hmm. at what age like Oh, no. I think I was 20. Yeah, right. I okay. Was so what what's happening in between in those years in between? Like sort of mm. like you know, uh, we're sort of talking around about when you're six, seven, eight, nine, yeah. and then yeah. Yeah. as a teenager, what what's happening for you? I started having singing lessons with a woman called Maureen Potros mm -hmm. in Gisborne, and uh, she was a really beautiful person. Uh, I think. She hardly charged my parents anything. She just loved my mum and dad and probably charged $5 a lesson <laughs> or something. Mm, mm, mm. Um, so I was with her from 11 till about 17. And she didn't actually teach me much in the way of vocal technique because I was too yeah, young. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to muck around with a voice then. Uh, but she let you do it. She let me do it. Which is and important, we right? Yeah. Songs, yeah. And I learned about interpretation. And you build a relationship with that person too. Exactly. Like, yeah. and I learned to read how to sight read a bit. Mm. Um, yeah, so I suppose I learned the discipline of learning a song mm. with Maureen. Um, I was a lazy learner. Uh, you know, kind of ran on my natural skill, on my natural mm, talent. Mm, mm. And yeah, sometimes yeah, we didn't spend enough time learning the music hard. I did develop bad vocal technique though while I was with her and I think that was because um, I'm not too sure. I think I, I thought I sort of thought, oh, this is how an opera singer sings, <laughs> you know? Mm, so you mm, make it up. Mm. And so I had to undo a lot of that work when I went and had singing lessons with Flora. But also I was doing other things like singing with um, uh, the Kaupapa Māori band Aotearoa. So mm. singing in the chest. I was, yeah, I was going to say, Wendy, don't you run off and basically join a reggae band? Yeah, I did. 
which 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 seems about as um, untutored as you can get in, in the singing world. It seems as as free and easy as could be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now he kind of hassled me for a couple of years mm. and. Uh, because he knew that I was a singer and mm. I was like, ah, oh, no, I don't want to sing in a reggae band. Not, don't you guys smoke a lot of dope? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I had these attitudes about it. Mm. But um, I can't remember why I decided to, but I thought, oh, well, why not? And I enjoyed it. I, that's where I met other people like Moana Money Putu. You know, Nahili Apa Nui, uh, unfortunately, Judge, who sang Maranga Akeai, that's his name, he had left, mm. so I didn't really get to sing with him, but he was an amazing, amazing performer. Um, yeah, we travelled all around the country and mostly performed in, at universities, you know, when you have... Mm-hmm. Orientation, orientation stuff and yeah 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 so we did a lot of that and yeah performed at a few pubs like at the glue pond yeah and, yeah and, and so what an education really and in, in performance and also um you know a fiercely political band right like a, a really yeah. kind of undersung band in new zealand's musical history in a way i i totally agree and you know at this point in time i'm considering doing a um a program during the New Zealand Arts Festival show, showcasing those bands again. Mm. Because I really think people need to understand that a lot of our history and music, and particularly for our young people, that these bands were the foundation mm. of a lot, of, a lot yep. of the music that's going on now, particularly mm. Te Reo Māori. Yeah, yeah. We were the first ones singing in Te Reo Māori. Yeah. Uh, and we're activists in that way. Mm. And I think that's the reason why I joined Aotearoa, because they were speaking, singing in Te Reo Māori and I believed in what they were protesting about. Um, not so much the music. That came later. Yeah, yeah. But also, that would make sense to, to you know, divide some sort of show paying tribute to that because I guess we've we've had a reappraisal of the show band era, the Mary Volcanics and such, and the Howard Morrison Quartet, and in a way they kind of are getting another life through the modern Maori Quartet at the moment, which is all great, like really positive, but this is the step that's kind of missing in that, isn't it, it? in terms of of a re-entry into the world, a a reminder, and and for a lot of people, an actual introduction to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm... Researching about that at the yeah. moment, and what I found one time, uh, I did some research on on Google, and I found out that there's a real attitude from other musicians about that that right, yeah, those bands mm-hmm. that they were barbecue, right, yeah, 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 and I can understand why they mm. thought that because mm. a lot of these guys were. Um, Jingichik. Yeah, yeah. Jingichik, yeah, yeah. You know, they just wanted to sing, and um, the guys coming out of Victoria University we were academics. Some of us were nerds. Mm. Um, but we were passionate about te reo Māori and passionate about Tinoranga Tiratanga Manamotuhake. Mm. And Aotearoa, the music was a, was a 
a vehicle for that. But then going back and re, you know researching about Bob Marley and the impact that he had on Maori, mm. that was so huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know when they when he came and performed here in, in the nineties, mm. was it the nineties or? No, nah, he was he was gone in nineteen eighty. Yeah. Late was he? yeah, Bob Marley. In nineteen eighty. Yeah, late seventies for him. He when he was here. Okay. Yeah, but there was, so, but there has been yes. a massive. But he opened the floodgates for a lot of Maori reappraisal people. of his work, and and I guess in a way, like even some of his children's music yeah. is really big here, yeah. almost more so than it is in other places of the yeah. world. You know, I know Ziggy Marley was here in the late eighties, yeah. and uh, Damien Marley was here in the mid two thousands mm. to to massive crowds mm. because of that. You know, because mm. of that tradition, because of that connection to. Mm really one of modern music's greats, mm. you know, outside of the um, dedication to reggae and outside of his his prominence in, in for Maori culture and mm. what he meant, um, just actually simply one of the great songwriters oh, <laughs> of, the tw- of the 20th century, oh, you know. You can't get away from Bob Marley. Yeah, Why yeah. Chill? Yeah, yeah, it's one of the absolute go-tos, Absolutely. isn't it? And I feel like that's, you know, uh, in the sort of idyllic New Zealand, that that is a big part of the soundtrack. I think so. It's the right vibration for yeah. New Zealand, for Aotearoa. So, that's I think right. Māori resonate with that, the sound that he creates because it's almost meditation. Yes. It's, it doesn't change much for yeah, me, yeah. formulaically, you know, in terms yep. of music, but mm. it just allows you to really just lay back. And you and, and actually what it does is it makes you listen to the words, so the kupu are yeah. important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you? How long does that last for you, the band Atiro? How long are you involved? Yeah, yeah. Three years. So that is a real education. Yeah, and a lot of lot of shows. Yeah, a lot of shows. I mean, I I always used to lose like about three (laughs) k's when we went on tour because we were just performing every night. But also, this is yeah, and this is a touring band rather than a recording band. You know, it's not about um, that's not as accessible to people. No, it's about changing people's hearts and minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was about. And often, and there was an cost us money to. Yeah, we never made any money. We actually had to put money in the kitty for the sound system. You know. Yeah, yeah, because you've got quite a big troupe, and you've also also it's about part of the performance is it it is a form of activism. So it's about you know, word spreading and, yeah. 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 And, you know, yeah. And out of, out of, and I believe, you know, they might say no, but out of Aotearoa came Ruya Aperehama mm-hmm. and his and Moana Maniputu and the Moa Hunters. Mm, mm. They were, they performed with us. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And then, indirectly, yeah. lots of things came from it too. You know, which is what you'd hope to be able to point to in terms of when you're yes. saying like reappraising that. Exactly. So you know, for the New Zealand Arts Festival, I yeah. want us to rediscover these bands. Yeah, yeah. Have them perform an amazing concert, uh, but alongside of it, they have the literature that influenced us. So the Ma- like Maori sovereignty by mm. Donna Awatere, Ranginui Walker, all of those writers. Yeah. So we have so people see the expanse of the influence, uh, you know, across literature. Some Taylor, no doubt as well. Yeah, visual yeah. artists. Yeah, 
Yeah. It was all a movement in the 80s. Mm. Yeah. And, and and indirectly, you know, it would link to things like Upper Hutt Posse and South oh, Side of Bombay yes. as well, you know. Oh, and yes. yeah, yeah. Definitely. Some of the performers in South Side of Bombay yes. were original members of Aotearoa. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. We, we all like a whakapapa to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And so what happens next for you? What, what do you do after that? That's when you... Um, Return oh, I went to, to music school. That's what I was going to say. That's when you actually take your your voice to be trained yeah. properly. Yes. And what's that experience like? Oh, it's freaky because mm. I felt, you know, a lot of lack of confidence. I was older by a couple of years than a lot of the singers. They were mm. quite young and fresh mm-hmm. out of school, so I felt like the nanny at times. Um Vocally, it was difficult. I had to find my voice again, and I didn't really find it fully at at, at um, music school because it changed. Um, but I did find that I loved Mozart and Handel. It was very Kiritikanawa kind of mm. repertoire, mm. Uh, and Flora was pull, pushing me towards coloratura, so doing all that sort of very very fast high speed mm. um, handle stuff and mm. I got quite proficient at that um, but then my mum died in my third year and that all just went down the toilet I lost com- confidence and I started developing quite a, an ama- a wicked tremolo in my, my voice very fast vibrato and so but at that time I was also board member of Takirua Theatre and Sunny Amy when I talked to her about what was going on with me, she said, why don't you apply for the artist's, mm. artistic director's job? Uh, we need someone. Mm. So I did. Mm. But I was at music school for th- for three years and, uh, you know, met a lot of peers like Warren Maxwell and yeah. all those guys. Although yeah. they didn't really have, want to have much to do with us <laughs> opera singers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There was kind of a divide between the opera singers yeah, and the jazz. Yeah, yeah. We would admire each other and sort of enjoy each other's music from afar. Not that I really enjoyed um, that uh, experimental jazz because mm-hmm. I just found it really boring when they were playing this, you know, yeah. we're having a, a solo. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> where's this going to? Yeah, yeah. But, um, It was good to be uh, to ex- to be exposed to that, and um, I don't know what's happened to a lot of my old music singing peers. We've mm. all gone off into different lives. I know that one of them is singing overseas in London. Can't remember his name. Um, he's become an opera singer, so that's awesome. But mm. the others, I'm not too sure. Mm. Mm. And then you become shortly after that, you become, I guess. New Zealand's most famous karaoke singer by virtue of one, <laughs> one by virtue of one recorded performance. Um, is that that's probably the nice way to describe that's, it, isn't it? That's, that's a very kind way to describe it. <laughs> Talk us through this to, uh, because this is a great story. I mean, you've told me a little bit of this already, so uh, that's why I wanted to frame it that way. But how does okay. this happen well, right, for I'll you? I'll tell you the big backstory. Yeah. Alrighty. So. Um, Lee Tamahori had gone all around the country looking for this character Mavis mm. uh, who was 
training to be an opera singer, but she never made it, and she ended up just being, you know, a bit of a drunk and mm. sing in the, in, uh, <laughs> in the bar, in the karaoke mm. machine in the bar. And anyway, my friend Brewia Brown talked to him, and she said, "Look, I have a friend, Mary Boynton. She's studying opera. You know, maybe give her a go." So I turned up for an audition somewhere in Newtown and sang Summertime. And looked at me and was like, oh yeah. And offered me the, the job on the spot there. Anyway, when we actually went to make the movie, <laughs> <laughs> I had to sing Betty Ann Munger's song, um, uh -oh. What's this? What's the song? Um, you come on home in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> you come on home in the night. And I just couldn't sing it vocally. It was fully out of my comfort zone. Mm. I can't go from I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it. We had to re-record it in the studio and uh, but hey, it is what it is and uh, people like it. <laughs> well, you know, you, you're just doing the job at the time. Yeah. But you obviously have some sense that this is going to be an iconic movie. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I imagine most people involved had no real idea until it was released mm -hmm. quite how iconic it's going to be. And then, of course, yeah. it's now part of the lexicon for over 25 years. Oh, yeah. I, um, think, I think because... But it was certainly, a, it arrived with, um, you know, we knew about it with some hype because obviously the book was a massive success mm. a few years before the film you know which is why the film happened so but it, that was a time in New Zealand cinema where you know not many New Zealand films got talked about before they happened and not many were released straight into cinemas you know they were made for TV or they you know they were made and then shopped around to see if they could one day be produced you know yeah. apart from you know Footrot Flats and a couple of others right and then this arrives in the middle of a, a time when Indie filmmaking is becoming really cool and popular, yeah. and New Zealand filmmaking gets a massive climb up the stairs because of Peter Jackson's success mm. and the piano, mm. and Once More Warriors. It's mm. part of that, mm -hmm. you know. I believe there's some story about Quentin Tarantino seeing it at a film festival and standing up, and you know, calling out that is a fucking amazing film. It is a fucking know? amazing and it is. film. Yeah, it is. I mean. I was embarrassed about it initially. Just, just your own performance? Do you mean like that? That the, the story you described, or the film? Yeah. The story that the film was telling. Do you mean? Well, I didn't know how it was going to be received mm. because the book. When I read the book, I hated it. Now, I, did you read, I, I, did you I, read the book as part of the job, or you read the book when no, it came I read out? The book yeah, when yeah. It, came out yeah. And it, it took me several attempts to start it because I was resistant to it. I was like, mm. no, no, I don't want to hear about this crap running our people down. You know, mm. sick of Māori people being run down. And then I read it, and I thought, well, you know, 
that is one facet of Māori society. Mm. You can't deny it. Uh, and when I was asked to be in the movie, I had to really question myself, why am I doing this? Mm. Uh, how is it going to serve our people? And then I thought, well, it's storytelling and it's telling a, a truth, which is part of our life. And mm. I have whānau like that. Mm. So there's no denying it, it's telling a story. Um, but when I went to the movie, I took a cousin of mine with me who's very, very, lived a very sheltered life. Mm. And honestly, she came out, and she's the same colour as me, and she was white as a sheet. <laughs> and she just went, Oh, our people aren't like that, are they, Mitty? Those that's, that's not Māori people. And I went, well, I'm afraid they are. Some of our people are like that, cause. Mm. But see, she only knew our family. Mm, mm, mm. Our Tuapawa family, who are very loving, you know. And, um, and she just never, she just couldn't, it wasn't part of her life story. I mean, it was a challenging book because it was written um, in a rather tricky style too like to, to you know when you say about starting it and mm. not wanting to carry on I, I feel like for me part of that was actually the writing style like I've always mm. I've always described it and and Alan Duff actually as you know it isn't so much that he's a, a good writer or it's a good book but it was an important book yeah. you know and its timing was yeah. such yeah. you know it, 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 like many of the the best things that go on to make their market arrived at the right time yeah. you know that whether whether it's a kind story or not yeah. it was the right time for that story to be yeah. not just told but received yeah. as well i yeah. think and and you know I, I i personally think the film is actually more successful at making that point than the book i think the film draws on oh. good source material and makes it um more powerful, more profound, well, the film version. We had Riria Brown who co-wrote mm. the, the, the script with Lee. Yeah. She actually bullied him into a lip. She said, a woman's voice has to be part of this. Right. Yeah. She, she made the absolute right decision. Um, what really peed me off was that Rena Owen was never given the right to be, uh, uh, you know, she wasn't selected as top actress of the mm, Right, yeah. She absolutely should have yes. been given that. They gave it to, to um, what's his name? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Jake. Yeah, Jake yeah, Mas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He gets, um, you know, great performance great from performance. Tim, Timmy Rowe Morrison. Great performance, but... I agree. Like it, really? it's oh, it's really? it's really her story, it and is. as and and in the film that comes out so much more. And performance wise, that's such. A, I mean, I haven't watched it for twenty years. I have I watched it quite a few times. Really liked it, and I and I keep thinking I'd like to watch it again. Yeah. Um, but my my memory of it is that really it's her story, yes. and the the major lump in the throat moment is delivered by her, well several actually, but the in terms of her standing up mm. to him, mm. and him looking like an absolute fucking coward yeah. at the end, yeah. you know, yes that's a good performance by him, but the the, the power in that is, yeah. is, is from her, yeah. both actor and character. Yeah, and I thought they were stolen from me. Yeah, now. yeah. And I really... Yeah, that really pisses me off. Yeah. But, um, hey, 
And so you live with getting recognised in that role. I know. To this, to this, <laughs> to this day, right? Like I know, and it really surprises me because yeah. Mavis wasn't a huge character, um, but I was blessed to be part of that. Mm. And honestly, doors have opened me because of that. Well, I was thinking about it driving over here. I was like. Yes, Mavis is not a, a major, major character, shouldn't be, mm. but in the context of that film, it's kind of like um, Rena Owen's character and Jake and Uncle Bully and Mavis. Like, that's the kind of lineup. Now, there are yes. other people with more dialogue than your character, mm. but that's sort of mm. the lineup of the. Of, of the run of how people remember it. Because it's. And also, I guess, you know, not just the the singing and whatever you think of your performance, but that's a really pivotal scene in the film in yeah. terms of Jake's expression of anger. So, like, what what goes on to happen in that film, in so that scene. flies off the handle. That's right. So, so that's deadly. such a memorable scene. And so you're part of one of the most memorable scenes in the film mm. and also one of the more easily extractable scenes. You know, it's mm. kind of like if you want to give someone a little teaser trailer of the film that knows nothing about it or its story, mm. then a clip of you singing and him fighting is going to go in there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, it's so it's it's big because of that, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that film, yeah, and that film is forever part of New Zealand's story like that is one of our one of our most successful films Absolutely. domestically and so no shame there at all as you no. say like it's a good film no I get recognised all around the world yeah yeah still yeah mm. and what what are your thoughts about what you're going to do on the back of that film like are you is it a case of like well I need to pursue acting more I need to you know like or do you just go back no, to no I decided to go back to singing yeah one and done. <laughs> One and done, finished, finished, done that. Yeah, took that uh, off, that was yeah, an experience. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I wanted to be a singer and then it all kind of fell apart and then I ended up working at Takirua Theatre, being the artistic director there. Mm, mm. So that took me in, in another direction, supporting uh, Māori Theatre mm. and really... Uh, nurturing and growing Takirua mm. theatre as a bicultural theatre. Mm. And let's talk about um, what you're, I mean you mentioned looking at devising something for the New Zealand Festival. Mm. Let's talk about, I mean you've, you've done other things but let's talk about your role that's just been recently established mm. with Tafari, mm. which is the festival. Yeah. Um, so what are you, what's your official title? Director of Ngātoi Māori and Indigenous Programming. Now this comes on the back of your uh, many years as, a, as a, I guess, a performer and practitioner, but also your yeah, connection, I mean the previous role you mentioned and your mm. connection with working mm. with several people and working in roles with theatre and devising mm. works. Mm. Um, and we were talking before we started recording about how, well, I think... Um, the New Zealand Festival has done a pretty good job yeah. about trying to um, be as even-handed as it can yeah. with, uh, you know, uh, well, celebrating all sorts of New Zealand culture, yes. I think. But the establishment of your role is, is a great uh, honour for you but a great and a great uh, thing for the festival going forward, right? I, I thank you. Mm. Uh, a lot of people in Pōneke particularly 
have been effusive in, in, in congratulating me. Mm. And it's like a return home for me. I never thought that I would return to Pornic. I thought, well, you know, mm. that's me. Mm. And I really didn't want to go back to Pornicia. So mm. it, it had to be the right balance for me to go back. Mm-hmm. And I can, what's wonderful is that COVID has given us the gift of working from home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, or just in general rearranging work. Oh, it's just fabulous. That's so right. I work here at Hawke's Bay once, uh, you know, one week. Then I go to get to Wellington and I'm in the office for a mm. week. So I do turn about. Mm, mm. And it works great for me because mm. I can get some peace and quiet and head a tanga. And then I'm in the office, you know, buzzing yeah. with, with the rest of the team. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... A lot of, you know, particularly people from my era, peers are happy to, to see me in that position. And I hope it's because they feel that I've done the yard. Yes, yeah, done the work. Been, been at the coalface doing right, the they job. They can trust me mm. to hold their work in regard. And uh, I'm just really excited about the potential to not take the, the festival in a new direction but to really up the ante in terms of content yeah. Māori and, and Pacifica and other indigenous works. Well your appointment and this new focus also arrives uh, you know that was going to be happening anyway but you mentioned COVID that has changed how the festival will be put together from now on anyway yeah. so that's in a way, that's kind of quite a nice dovetailing or something, and oh, that, and that, the festival needs to be as receptive as it's ever been to new ideas and new ways of devising things. Yes, new we staging. Can't, yeah, we yeah. can't be leaning on our international works. That's right. That's not a given anymore. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to, to do the bring the wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I think it's exciting in that we're going to be pulling more resource into our. Our national talent and up in the end yeah. because we you know it's really hard on New Zealand performers because they're, they're expected to bring something wow every time yeah. for a festival it's like to do it within a year or a month and they never get to travel enough you know this is what happens with all these international works they travel all around the world yeah and yeah they just build build their skill and they build the show and they change it and rearrange it we don't have the luxury of that here in Aotearoa no, that's we right. really should be more a kinder, I think, to our performing arts and allow them to, to grow and give them more resource to really make the work sing. We can be quite a, um, I mean, it's, it's gotten a lot better, but I think we can be quite a um, unforgiving and, and uncultured audience that's like, well, we've paid our money, we expect world-class entertainment, whether it comes from here or overseas, and you better be good. We're not really interested in, you know, the developmental process. We're not really compassionate with the idea that these things have to go through a staging process, and where is the chance for that? Yeah. And, um, you know, you look at the development of our comedy scene over the last 30 years, mm. it's now, whether people like it or not, there's a really robust 
stand-up comedy scene but how hard was that for oh, so many years one. because there's no comedy clubs you know outside of one in Auckland that's existed yeah. for a long time so how do people hone this material but now in several cities around the country there are regular nights yeah. open mic nights you know beginning you know fresh meat nights for mm. people who've never done it before that mm. want to try it I mean you think about where stand-up comedy was invented mm. in America there is you know dozens and dozens of options in a single night for a person to go and and those really good comedians go and do five different sets in a night they go and do they go and do five minutes (laughs) in five or six locations you know in the same night to do their practice that's right to do the work so yeah I, i do think our audiences are you know the the jazz festival that's just been which is a great example of a i guess a pivot in the wake of COVID because it got shifted several months and Mm. suddenly international acts were off the table Mm. and what an amazing thing to have local composers be given money to work on you know actually commissioned like here's some money here's a grant we want you to go and create something new and i saw you speak at um the the last of those which was ricky gooch's and you know how phenomenal was that performance oh it was Fabulous, I loved it. Well, I think in some, I mean, I think it was going to be good anyway, but I think your speech was a great, like, <laughs> I did think your speech was a great tone setter. I do. I think it, I think we just thought that was amazing. Like, uh, you know, that, that really got people on board with the, oh, you're about to see something special and, you know, here's where it comes from kind of thing. Like, yeah. it had that about it. But I mean, her, I mean, the, the, Ricky's the special soul and the people that he had on stage with them were all amazing. Oh, it was really always going to be yeah, yeah, it was always going to be yes. phenomenal. But but everything felt right about that, you know, yeah, it was the a great the great a beautiful yeah, environment. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and I've been going to the jazz festival for twenty years and mm-hmm. I've seen the best of uh, the international acts that have been there and mm-hmm. I've seen the best of the New Zealand acts and that's you know, that's a top five or even a top three jazz festival moment for me you know awesome. of all time like that's I think, just you know we have to i think we have to uh just stop being so fucker about arts mm. stop, stop being so stuck up about it yeah and it's not about accessibility well it is about accessibility allowing people to be comfortable so mm. that they can receive it mm. You know, mm. um, I'm all about that. It's breaking down the boundaries so our audience can receive art. It's their right. Well, you know, I guess this is early days and speculative, but what has happened in people's lives in New Zealand with lockdown and COVID, and at this stage, touch wood, we've been very lucky, and mm. uh, who knows what 2021 will bring, but you would hope that in some sense, you know, the, one of the things that was so great about that jazz festival performance, and I went to another one in that church that was great too, but um, I've only been to a handful of shows this year, and on, I think basically no one's been to more than a handful of shows this year, um, but, but every single one I went to had this feeling of huge connection between the audience and the performer, more than I've seen in a while. And they've all been, and they're all local acts, obviously. They're all local acts, and I feel like, you know, this could be one of the great um, byproducts. This the mm. the 
things like the New Zealand Festival and mm. the Jazz Festival could be real breeding grounds for a newly received and restored faith around just how creative this country can be. How amazing and beautiful this country is. Yeah, and the talent we have. And the talent we have. The talent because we have. And that's not being, you know, flippant yeah, no. at all. Because... You know, I, I went and saw Dave Dobbin a couple of months ago who I had not seen for years and who I love and who I think will always do a good show and rah, rah, rah. But he would be the first to acknowledge he's one of the very privileged people in this country that, that you know, he, he can live and work without having to flood the market and no one's ever going to tell him he's done wrong. Um, but he still does the work. Like, I still believe he's very, very good. Um, but... But that he, people like him have indirectly become a gold standard that other people are impossibly held up against. Mm. So, you know, like Neil, Neil Finn, mm. Dave Dobbin, Tammy Nielsen now is an example, mm. I think, of someone who is so great. Mm. But it's almost like we get three or four or five names and people go, well, that's who I'm interested in. But we do love to worship. Yeah, It's just that's humanity. It. Yeah. We put people up on a pedestal and we worship them, you know. Yeah. And... Um, and everyone else has to meet that. Standard. That's right, and it's. Um, but you know, I think the I think the world is cracking open. That there's so much diversity. Mm. I mean, there's so much diversity in sexuality, let alone. Yes. Yeah. Know, yeah. That's right. Performing arts. It's. It's a different. It's a different world. But I agree. I really. I was stoked when COVID ha- happened. To tell you the truth, mm. because I did. I've did, I've done a lot of travelling um, over the last eight years with Ma, mm. Emmy Panifusio's group and um, mm. a French choreographer I did performance with her in France and wherever. And I noticed how crazy the world was getting. Mm. You know, um, the amount of refugees, uh, the, the extreme poverty, the violence, the immediate violence just up close. Mm. Uh, people continuously begging and I was getting overwhelmed by all of that and I had to stop travelling because I couldn't cope with it any longer mm. and then I could feel it happening in, in New Zealand everyone was getting panicky and, and, and anxieties huge mm. so COVID came at a, at a time when that was peaking I was like this is going to turn into I don't know like <laughs> extreme violence mm. well it had already happened hadn't it yeah but, yeah um, um, the shootings down yeah. in Christchurch. Yeah. So it was just kind of a mountain. So I think COVID came at a good time where it stopped us in our in our tracks and we all had to stay in our own little islands and we had to focus on our families and um, what's what's most yeah. important. Yeah. And I think that has done a lot of good for us as a, a industry, performing arts industry. We're afraid, of course, because mm. we don't have those internet international connections yeah, and, oh yeah. we're not going to have the international acts no one's going to come but when we did, did the Tai Rafati Arts Festival that was amazing mm. was, you know so many people came yeah, and yeah. Um, our community came out and celebrated them and there are these things happening like that and maybe some of them were happening well I know some of them were happening before 2020 and so before any notion of a lockdown and so forth, but you, like Featherstone does its thing called Booktown, and I went to one of the events and was speaking at one of the events there recently, 
and you know we're used to doing poetry readings to three or four people and ten you know ten people and 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 this was packed wow and we were you know Richard Langston and I have been talking about ever since going it's not going to get better than that for us like that was awesome like we we were quite happy to speak to five or ten people because that's what you do and that's okay but it was packed and people came engaged and they asked questions and they hung around for you know ages afterwards and we signed books and talked to them and it was just like this is amazing and so I feel like there is going to be more and more of that I think more vibe. I think more provinces are yes, going to yeah. find what makes them special, the local tourism that's going to up. That's right. So we've already seen that, you know, happen a little bit, that's right. And so that's that's what I definitely think was as part of this, you know, a place like Featherston yeah. is a really cool little hop skip and a jump from Wellington mm. so you you are you can draw lots of people over the hill very easily plus you're giving the local you know you're giving the locals mm. and and the people in the surrounding districts the other side like mm. basically all of the Wairarapa yeah. it's very easy for them to get to it mm. so you know you're not and you know the irony is we go and do a reading in Wellington and no one turns up because it's like well, you know, there's lots of other things they could be doing. Oh, yeah. yeah, you've got yeah. your competing. For yeah, that's audience, right. That's know? right. So it's yes. a, so people are getting smarter about where to program. You know, programmers are getting smarter about like let's put this here yes. on this day yes. in this venue that's not technically a venue. You know, well, let's go and use this bowling club. Let's go and. Yeah, let's Take go and, out to these different places that's right. that have their own community. That's right, yeah, let's put this in the zoo, you know, like, and then people that go to the zoo with their kids will, will enjoy this children's entertainer that's here mm. doing, you know, whatever it is. Mm. It's very cool. So It's like our community halls. Yeah. You know, bring them back to life again, our marae. Mm. I'm really excited about thinking about programming marae. So you've got, uh, yeah, you've got an exciting year or two, well, uh, you know, a few, but mm. uh, particularly the next year, because this is mm. where you lay the groundwork the yeah. for for not only the next festival, but for the continuation of essentially a brand yes. new role. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And what? How do you reconcile that with the um, the performer in you? Ah, <laughs> that would is the question. Yeah. <laughs> that in a perfect world would be getting commissioned it's and paid. Juggling. And, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's called juggling because, of course, I have got some performances lined up already yeah. Yeah. with Witi's Wahine, which I, I can't let go of. I'm still in love with that production. Yeah. Um, and a new work with Gareth Farr. I work with Sam Hamilton, which is more towards the future, I suppose, performing in New York, and but we still continue to work on it. Mm. So I've got bits and pieces happening. Uh, I just have an open conversation with my manager really and we just see how we can fit it in and work around it. Mm. Um, Megan's well aware that I'm a performer as well as, I mean that's, a lot of my strength comes from that. Yeah, yeah. From understanding what it is to be a performer and what I require. That's a really important thing for, you know, you know what it takes for a person to be doing this thing, you know their mindset, you know mm. the fragility, I guess, that yeah, can the mental, be mental the vulnerability. That's right, the vulnerability in, in all senses of the word, mm. not just in the mental health, but just an overall uh, potential for fragility because it, it's a, 
a whole mind and body experience to oh, commit gosh. to you know extensive performance isn't it yes well when i came out of um just the last few months from performing which is wahine mm. then i went straight into the hawks bay arts festival i did a performance with witty there yeah um he did some storytelling and stuff mm. and then i did another performance with java dance honestly by the end of it, I was shattered. <laughs> yeah. And I produced two tira mai naivi for the Hawke's Bay Arts Festival and the Light Trail for, mm. for Gisborne. And I was, I couldn't, I couldn't actually sing. Yeah, yeah. I've I only mean, just got my voice back. Yeah. I just had no kaha left, no energy left. I was fully depleted. So, and you know, and that's because I didn't look after myself. Mm. But the least you expect is that the people who are engaging look after you. Mm. So I was well looked after in Te Tairawhiti, beautiful places that we stayed at, you know, per diem. That's the least mm. you need is mm. per diem and a good place where you can rest. Yeah, and yeah. And not having to travel, you know, never yeah, Because yeah. I believe that, you know, when you're a performer, it's spiritual work what you're doing it's not just because you're giving of yourself mm. your mind your spirit and your body you're giving all of that a lot of people sort of think oh yeah I can act if they watch you perform oh yeah I can do that but they don't mm. you can't just do that that's right yeah it's yeah years and years of learning uh, maturing as a performer also gathering stories, observing. Mm. It's not just you just get up and sing a song. Yeah, the formal training for a lot of this stuff is actually, I think, about teaching you how to open the window to receive more in, isn't it? You know, that that's actually... To allow you know, yourself to perform with ease. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. All the technical stuff is already and done. Yeah. Then you can get on with the storytelling. I mean, a bit of toolbox stuff, obviously, yeah. sure. But, yeah. but I think it's about, you know, like people always describe going to jazz school as being, you know, it's actually about the hang. Like, it's about who you meet. And you look at all of those, you know, I mean, some of those, you know, we talk about people like Warren and that, like... The bands that have been formed out of the oh. jazz school and those connections from Trinity Roots to many others are like-minded people meeting at, you know, essentially maybe a, a space that it doesn't instantly translate to the music. Fat Freddy's Drop and Trinity Roots and those sorts of bands have all one way or another come out of jazz school. Mm. And there's only mm. a tiny element of jazz to their sound. Mm. But... It's all about interplay and it's all about the conversation, which is a big part of jazz. So those people have met there and that's what's that's really been the important thing, that they've yeah. met and they've got to know each other and they've been open to receiving other people's ideas. Yeah. And people that go through the IIML um, to, to do writing talk about it just being important that they were given a space, to you know, a time space mm. to read a lot and to have their writing critiqued by other writers. Like, that, what they might come out with at the end is not a finished manuscript, but um, they have some, something's toughened in them yeah. that they're ready to commit to the finished manuscript. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's you know? building your resilience. But I think it's very easy for a lot of people to still decide, well, that's a, that's a charmed gig, having a year to write and not realising that you know, it's not well paid, it's not, nothing's a given, 
nothing's a given and that it's really yeah really if it's not even if it's not physical and it is mm. on some level it, it is because everything's connected it's really sapping of the soul you know like there's Very, a real yeah. uh, replenishment that needs to happen yes yeah. yes because you continue you're like an empath you're just continuously giving out mm. so you have to have downtime to to fill yourself up again mm. um Yeah, it's funny that because I'm in another point in my life where I'm, I think I'm building for the next couple of decades. Yeah. So the people that I'm surrounding myself with. Mm. Uh, so I flat with um, a woman called Glynis Phillips Barbara, who was the general manager for Te Tairawhiti Arts Festival. Uh, she was also. She's the chairperson for the Te Tairawhiti Arts Festival now. She is also working for the Children's Commission mm. along um, beside the Dr. Busby. Mm-hmm. So she's doing huge work in the area of tamariki well-being. And I'm flatting with her, you know. Mm. So I'm surrounded, I'm flatting with all these wahine from Te Tairawhiti. So we're like a little collective. And I know that I'm going to grow from there. Mm. And I'm going to get some wonderful support and... Yeah, you're giving and sharing experiences. Giving and sharing wānanga. Mm. Then I'm at the New Zealand Arts Festival. The women there have got so much integrity and um, want to to do a good job. Mm, mm. They're very serious about what they yeah. do. So I'm surrounded by people like that. Yeah, yeah, I've got to know Meg pretty well over the last few years. Oh, and, and Yeah, and Marnie a wee bit in the last yes. couple of years because she's a bit newer. Yeah. And um, they're just fantastic, I think. Good, good, good you know. human beings. Yeah, and obviously Claire, Claire on the literature side, who I know I've spoken to a few times yes. on the podcast as well. But they, they're just... Um, they're just all in it, you know. Yeah, they 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 you know? they good at it, but they and I guess it's all connected. They're good at it. They care about it. Yeah. You know, it's all it's all always going to be as good as it can be because of people like them. I think. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, as you say, the people that you surround yourself with really influence the stories that you tell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Trinity Roots, absolutely, relationships. You know, it didn't really happen for me at music school. I don't have much to do with those singers anymore. Mm. Not at all. Mm. Um, but I still have kind of relationships with Warren and mm. uh, mostly probably him really out of mm. music school. Mm. Those are the people that I pass through, that I see and engage with. So it's quite, quite funny. Um, but he's, I mean, Warren's one of those uh, uh, people that, I mean, he's... He can go anywhere. Yeah, but he's, tu- you know, I was going to say, he's touched a lot of uh, people's hearts with music in, in many ways. You know, as a, as a, not just the groups that he's uh, put his own music out through, mm. but as a kind of tutor, as a teacher, mm. uh, a, as a connection point mm. for people. I mean, he's indelibly linked to that mm. school. As, as both a graduate of it mm. and, a, and, a, and a teacher, right? Like, mm. so his legacy is, is long-lasting, I think, yeah. in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I must uh, 
I must. I mean, I know Warren a tiny bit. I must talk to him. You know, this podcast. Sure, I've, I've never he's done that. Another yeah. He's doing. He's doing. Is he doing a PhD? But he's also focusing on his real. Mm. So you'll mm. see another evolution of Warren, and that's happening a lot with a lot of our Maori artists. Well, it's happening with Ricky. They're getting very, very right? strong into their taha Maori. Yeah. Because we know that that's actually we have to step up because our tamariki, our children who are coming behind us are way ahead of us in mm. terms of te reo Māori and tikanga and knowing who they are as Māori. Mm. So our age group have to catch up. Yes, because I was going to say, you, you mentioned her before, but you see that in someone like Ruby Solly, who's you know a younger performer mm. and writer. Mm. And, um, and she seems to me, I mean, I know Ruby lives down the street from me, so I know her mm. quite well, but... Um, she seems to me to be just so well connected to that, but still so open Absolutely. to be learning the whole time. Yeah. Yes, I just met with Ruby last week, mm. her collective of Wahine, mm. Portal mm. um, players, Carly, Tikahuriri Moa and Ariana Tika. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that group because they're breaking new ground and they're all very, very grounded in their taha Māori, mm. which mm. I love. And just exciting young woman. Mm. They won't take no for an answer. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, this has been a nice conversation. Is there is there anything that you want to add before we wrap up? Like, I, I feel like this is one that I need to catch up with you again in a, in a year's time and see yeah. what um, cool. what what you've started to put in place yes. for the festival because you're going to have some interesting conversations and some interesting research ahead of you. I have, yes, and I'm still undecided as to what the narrative will be. Mm. So at the moment I'm really just doing a lot of listening, a lot of researching and um, trying to understand the the, the lay of the land of Aotearoa as it mm. stands and how we can better serve that through the arts. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I don't have much more to say and the only thing I, I'm cognizant of is that people like me are in a privileged position and it's we have to keep the doors open mm. for everybody, not just young people but anybody who wants to engage in the space to listen to people's ideas creatively, creatively, and not to to judge too quickly. Um, yeah, it's my role as the director to really engage with my community, with our community, Aotearoa, mm. and to be open to whatever comes along, because this world is just changing so quickly. Um, we have to be still in the eye of the thought a storm <laughs> be still in the eye of the storm mm. and stay present and really just find those those jewels that will serve us um, as this new world that we're going to be Aotearoa New Zealand mm. to take us in a positive direction you know to let go of all that negative crap that happens um, yeah yeah, I feel like that's the other thing that is starting to make more sense to people as in, a, in this in the beginnings of a post-COVID landscape, shall we say, is the jettisoning of this unnecessary baggage. You know, why do you keep that 
shit that haunts you you know why do you keep that why do you hold on to those petty resentments and grudges because they're not actually you know at the end of the day when we're all uh locked up and asked to just hunker down in our house and provide for those of us around us which again is a really privileged position to be in mm-hmm. to just have a house and a family uh and some income still coming in you know however it's being supplemented that's all obviously very privileged but at the end of the day if that's what matters you know who cares about this other um bickering nonsense that people do people do keep in their in their hearts unfortunately and i feel like a lot of that's already this year there's been a lot more kindness being suggested yes if you practice kindness you are kindness Mm. you know and that's something we have to remind ourselves and myself on a, on a daily, mm. on a minutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, sometimes you do get a But um, it's easy to default, to default to be negative and yeah. to be unkind. Yeah. It's much harder to be kind. Yeah. But actually, you get more out of it. Yeah, yeah. You're kind to someone, you get kindness back. Mm. You know, and that sounds all very bohemian and woo um, but I truly believe that that's a way forward, and um, that's and I think as an art collective, the arts festival has a responsibility to up that, mm. uh, up that vibration, you know, to celebrate um, positivity, not not to sort of cloak it in, um, you know, everything's all cool and groovy because it's not, mm. to tell truth, but also balance it with kindness. Mm. Well, that seems like a good place to, <laughs> to to end things, I think. Let's leave on that positive note. Yeah. But uh, I love that chat. Thanks. Oh.